Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, there it is. Just me, mouth breathing, looking around like a jackass. Hi, everyone. It is uh, the 19th of July, 2023. And I'll just say that if you look like someone who's ever, you know, committed a sex crime on the side of the road in North Florida, you'll probably hate this show. But for the rest of you, welcome in. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my friend, the big beige one himself, it's Brian Campbell. What's up, Brian Campbell? Luke, Luke, you are on fire already. I'm like ready for you to solicit me sexually in a very aggressive manner. But if we can put the debauchery beside us, we have a fantastic hump day show in the combat sports sphere for our listeners today. The best damn combat sports show, in fact, period. And Luke, 10 days out from BMF 2.0 and Spence Crawford and Bellator Rising. What a time, right? What a time to be alive. Yes, it certainly is. Um, BC, let's remind everyone, thumbs up on the YouTubes if you're uh, here. Hey, subscribe. It costs you nothing. We'd appreciate it. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, do be so kind as to leave us a nice review. We appreciate that as well. On the docket today, we'll talk about UFC, uh, the return to the United Kingdom, which is this weekend. Tom Aspinall makes his return, as we mentioned, after about a year off. So we'll talk about what that means and the fight against Marcin Tybora. We'll get to some announcements. Francis Ngannou has spoken out. There's some news about MVP. We have a whole lot to get to, plus fan subs uh, and, uh, yeah, BC. Uh, we also have some breaking Conor McGregor news, so let me just pause that for just one second, and let's just get through the uh, spiel here. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. Morningcombat.store. You can see all of the uh, the nice little graphic packages we have here. Morningcombat.store for all of your merch. And to reach the show for Friday's Dead Wrong or whatever, morningcombat at gmail.com. BC and I don't see those. The producers do, so act accordingly. Uh, BC, you want to get to this Conor McGregor news that just broke like a minute ago or something? Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of it, but according to TMZ, Conor was back in Europe at a funeral and exited the funeral angrily after behavior from some of the people inside. The authorities were called. It does not, at this moment... Seemed to be more than that, but Luke, it's you know I, I was you know I was going to make a joke that he was going to celebrate his first Ultimate Fighter win, which I believe did happen in the last uh, forty eight hours there on on Tough, but uh, this was at a funeral, so out of respect for those that were there, I'm not sure what this is, Luke, but you know his name will be is lightning rod. It'll be attached to anything and and, and go big, but uh, just another day in the life of Conor McGregor. I guess. Yeah, I mean, again, let's just be careful about this one, but I'll just read you with a couple of first couple of sentences. Conor McGregor rushed away from a funeral in the UK on Tuesday following an incident at the gathering, and now cops are trying to figure out what happened. Footage shot from outside what's called the Saddle Club shows the UFC star flanked by two security guards. You can see this video. Made the swift exit after he had been inside the venue for services for a late family member. The 30, he's 35. 35 year old fighter looked perturbed in the clip and urged fans to move away from his car so he could leave the scene. Club officials said McGregor had actually been jovial earlier in the day, even sharing several photos of him smiling with other guests at the event. But they said he was, quote, upset by the actions of certain people attending the funeral, end quote. And uh, they all left. Uh, don't know what to make of it. Don't know anything more than that. Yeah. I think the bigger sort of half news that probably needs Luke Thomas's reaction to kick off our already fantastic show in the tightest 90 minutes in combat sports, Luke, 
is how about this Abu Dhabi? We've been like, where's Hamzat Chemaev? Is it going to be Usman? What the heck's happening here? Paulo Costa at middleweight is the the drum that's getting bung around right now. Is that truth? Is that official? What do you know about this? I don't know anything about that. I had people texting me about it yesterday. I was trying to look into it. I didn't hear anything in the affirmative, at least not yet. Um, and I did see, I mean, Hamzat's always on social media being like, this guy, fight me, you fight me, you fight me. So he was doing that to like Leon Edwards. He was doing that to some other folks as well during the course of the day. So it's just hard to know. Nothing has been confirmed at this point. I will tell you though, BC, remember 291 is supposed to be Ikram Alaskarov taking on Paulo, Paulo Costa. If they bump him, uh, and by the way, Hamza was tweeting like he had an opponent change as well. But if they bump him to Abu Dhabi, I, I want to be clear, I don't hate that fight. I actually really like that fight. But you're robbing Peter to pay Paul at that point. So what do you do with Alaskarov if that happens? There had been some rumors online that Roman Delizze was going to fill in Ooh. for Paulo Costa. But then when Roman Delizze was contacted, he was like, that's not true. So something appears to be up, but there's certainly nothing firm. How All right, for, for, the, for the whole idea to close here on Shemaev of sort of like, what the heck's going on? Has not fought this year, has fought once in 22, once in 2021. Is this the right direction? If it goes down as Paulo Costa this fall, uh, yeah. Is this, what, is this the direction you're looking for? Because let's not forget, this guy was like on the verge of stardom before that weird weight incident ahead of the Nate Diaz fight, which became the Kevin Holland first round destruction. Uh, do you like this, Luke? Uh, I got to tell you, the Hamzat experience feels it's very, very different in a lot of different ways. But BC, one of the similarities between the Hamzat era, it's a little hard to call it that because he's been inactive. But since he has made a big splash on the scene, let's say, it feels a lot like the Lesnar era in that it felt big. Every move felt important, filled with intrigue. What could he do? And it also felt like really exciting confusion, to be quite honest with you. So... You know, does it make the most sense to, in fact, if it happens, remove Costa from 291 to 294 and then to give him a guy who's supposed to be really a welterweight fighter, but he's up at uh, 185 and then now he's taking on a highly ranked guy. Does any of that really make the most sense you've ever seen? Probably not. Probably not. Don't really care. If I can be honest with you, don't really care. Happy to see it. It's just craziness. Hamzat means craziness, both in the cage and the surrounding you know, atmospherics with all the fights he's getting into at pressers and weigh-ins, and it's just bananas. So this would fit that long tradition, BC. I got to tell you, I don't really hate it so much. No, I like the fight. I like the potential of it, fireworks, all of that. I mean, we got excited about this potential of this matchup in the past. Uh, I wonder, though, if this is essentially for, for Chimaev a number one contender's fight. It's hard to say. It would be his return to middleweight. He, you know, yeah. I mean, the Kevin Holland fight, I guess you can call a middleweight fight. It would be his return, though, on, I, I guess, a full-time angling toward that title. We know we got DDP Izzy, which will be a big event. I wonder if this is sort of setting up the next man in there's, waiting. There's yeah. also Sean Strickland. There's also Sean Strickland. True. So, True. you know, it could be. It's, to your point, though, you beat Paulo Costa. You ain't far from a title shot. You ain't far. So, I guess we'll have to see. An interesting uh, turn of events. Now, BC, that brings us to our more regular, regularly scheduled topic. Excuse me. Topic number one, UFC Fight Night, Aspinall versus Tybora. We are back in the United Kingdom. Uh, Aspinall is back, as I mentioned, after a year off, 16 months since he's actually had a win, taking on the decidedly there Marching Tybora. Our friends at Caesars have Aspinall as a minus 450 favorite. They have Tybora 
at plus 350. I want to talk about the card more generally in just a minute, BC. We did have a little bit of conversation related to some of the relatively speaking lackluster ticket sales for this. Again, there's no patty. It's not really a pay-per-view card. Well, they're jacking up the gone. prices too. That's that's 2000 Prices are crazy. UFC. Prices yeah. are crazy. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. All, all of these factors are working together, uh, to be clear. But I got to tell you, I'm excited about the return of Tom Aspinall. We talked on Monday about whether or not this gets him a title shot. It's hard to say exactly because there's a few guys there. But as it relates to Marcin Tybora, I, I, here's what I want to ask you. Of course, you're looking to see if he wins or loses. But in a win, what do you want to see that maybe you feel like you haven't seen from Tom Aspinall yet? Well, I mean, I think this is different. I don't think it's what have we not seen. I think he's got to go. He's going back to the scene of the crime where he injured his knee very spectacularly early on against uh, against Blades in a fight that was supposed to really be that rocket ship that pushed Aspinall to the next level, meaning the title level. Now we have to kind of go back to go forward. He is a monster favorite, as you mentioned, minus 450. This is a better Ty Burrow than I guess we sometimes give his name credit for in that he's coming in on a, on a streak of having won seven of eight. But Luke, for me, this is all about Tom Aspinall restoring the image that he was before the injury. I mean, we had Eric Nixick on this podcast recently, and he just recently shared this video on Instagram. You know, Luke, we at that moment, uh, when we talked to Eric about a month or two ago, it was all about, is it going to be Pavlovich? Is it going to be Jalton Almeida as sort of the next big, younger threat coming at John Jones? Well, it also very well could be Tom Aspinall, and we talked on Monday all the reasons why and the big potential fan base behind him. But at 30 years old, he does have to prove that this the fairly significant knee injury does not slow him. I think some of the things I've really liked about what Aspinall has said ahead of this return was that it was could be turning out to be one of those blessing in disguise type moments for him. According to Aspinall, he gave his all in training on the come up, but what he identified during this recovery was just how much in his own words, he was not acting like a professional outside of training. That means diet. That means rest. That means just sort of what, what we talk about, the Spartan lifestyle. Aspinall claims this injury gives him sort of a reset time, which would allow him in theory to now figure out how to give 100% of himself and be at his best. I like the settings. I like what's at stake. But it is a return, in my opinion, to where we were at ahead of the Blades fight. Come in and without question prove to us that you are worthy of what the hype surrounding you, uh, you know, says as a complete, well-rounded finishing threat heavyweight on the scene, 30 years old, big fan base behind him. This might be, you know, in, in, in ways an easier opponent than Blades would have been at that time, but he's got to come back from this knee injury and prove that there's no physical limitations. If so, Luke, I think the odds are right. You should expect in front of the home crowd a big Aspinall breakthrough here if all circuits are go. It's a fair point. I mean, here's why I asked the question that way, BC. I I looked at his stat line this morning in preparation for today's show, and I was the numbers are like absurd. Absurd. And not just absurd overall. They're either good or very good or like astronomically good in every single category. Let me show you. Strikes landed per minute, right? You're, you're usually looking around the three plus, four plus mark for most good strikers, right? I mean, it's four plus for good strikers, okay? He's at 7.41. How about striking accuracy? Again, if you can get about high 50s, that's pretty good. He's at 65%. Strikes absorbed per minute, he's at 2.87, which is not like a great number, but it's not a bad number. It's like a fine average number, right? Like uh, It's okay. Striking defense, by the way, 64%. That's high. Takedowns per 15 minutes, four. Right, He's good for one around plus. Takedown accuracy, 100%. 
Takedown defense, 100%. Submission average, that's how many he attempts per 15 minutes, too. Nearly good for one around. This dude's stat line is fucking absurd. It's absurd. It's completely <laughs> insane. But the common refrain, or response anyway, is going to be, well, okay, but who has he fought? And of course, Curtis Blades would have been the most important test, but we really didn't get an answer. He was kind of getting lit up a little bit in that one, but the sample size is literally four strikes. I mean, what can you really say with a number like that? You can't say anything. Uh, and the two wins he had before that were really good, and Sergey Spivak and Alexander Volkov, but the two, the three before that aren't necessarily indicative of, of potential high-level ability. They're just they're, they're important wins to get to the next one, but they don't really tell you a whole lot. That's why this one, coming off of a long layoff and you know a particularly bad one bc i am looking to see if he's got some of that tom aspinall magic i don't i don't mean to say he's got to match all these stats and turn in some incredible performance if he ends it in 30 seconds you know hey more power to him that would be great as well what i'm just trying to say is however he fights and if in fact he does win does he look like or resemble the guy you remember from this stat line i think that's what i'm trying to ask or at least see what happens on saturday does that make sense yeah, you know it does, and and I don't have any. Were you were you vainly taking shots at the competition level he's shown on this rise? Is that what you were doing, or did I miss? No, I, I, listen. You start out. I mean, look. Okay, so his first fight in UFC was Jake Collier, a former middleweight. I mean, but that's your UFC debut. It's not supposed to be your toughest fight, right? Well, uh, hold on. I I got Wikipedia too. What I was going to say is. That injury, which was a loss against Blades, snapped yes. an eight-fight win streak all by stoppage, including all five of his UFC fights coming in. To my point, escalating competition each time yes. all the way through Alexander Volkov. I think that yes, was... Yes, I agree. Know. I agree. All right. But, all right. but here's, here's the, the only point is that Volkov... Here's here's why you got to have at least some awareness of what the limit... What, what are the limits of what that tells you, right? Because there's going to be limits to any of those. The limits are that Volkov is a very, very tough but limited fighter on the ground. Uh, Sergey Spivak is very good, but that was, excuse me, in 2021. He's improved massively since that time, which is not Tom Aspinall's fault in any way. I'm just saying he fought him at a time where that win is valuable, but not the best version of what it could be if he fought today. So he's done everything right except get injured. And of course, that just is bad luck. What I'm trying to say is I want to see where he can pick up and I want to see what he looks like. Now, I don't want to compare this to the Kevin Lee situation because that was multiple injuries over multiple years. I don't mean that. I just want to, it's worth saying out loud when you have an injury, particularly a knee injury, the research and the science of rehabilitation is better than it's ever been, but it is not perfect all the time. It is not great. It does not work all the time, or at least not all the way it's intended. The hype around him has been insane. What version of what he is now, what does it look like relative to what it looked like before? Because also, BC, he's had a year, or not quite a year, but he's had some time to train. And so he should just be better generally. He seems like a sponge. I'm just trying to get a sense of, like, what does he look like against Tybora? What does it match against what we saw? What What are the continuities there? I do agree with what you're saying, that the stats can blur what's really happening when you do have a lot of early finishes, which he has. Like I mentioned, eight straight finishes before that Blades fight. It can skew the reality of what those numbers tell you. But the reason why I like this matchup, irregardless of the line, which again has minus 450 for for Aspinall, is this factor. One thing about Aspinall on this incredible rise to become a viable heavyweight is he does finish so often so early. Luke, this is a five-round main event coming back after more than a year off in a major knee injury for a guy who's only been to the second round three times in his pro career, never to the third. He's only been into the second round one time in the UFC, and that was against Arlovsky before the stoppage. 
and he's fighting against a guy who not spectacular by any means in Tybura, but has gone to the scorecard six of his last eight fights, seven of those victories, and you consider that, you know, that shows durability, that shows some levels of being able... I want to see from Aspinall here, Luke, not another early stoppage against Volkov, even though that would do exactly what I said off the top, pick up where he left off, right, from the injury, from the blade situation. I want to see him pushed a little bit. I want to see him tested. I want to see him come out in a five-round main event and have to use a good portion of that to show us exactly who he is. That's sort of what you would expect in a level-up moment, which is what we were supposed to get from the Blades fight. I mentioned, again, lesser quality opponent in, in Tybura, but Luke, when you do look at Tybura and that exact equation that I'm talking about, it's not just to potentially pull an upset on, on, on uh, Aspinall. It's, to me, exactly that. Take him into those later rounds and show us a new look. Is Ty Burra that guy Saturday to do that in your eyes? Uh, only if Tom is in trouble in his career. Like, he shouldn't be, right? He shouldn't be. So you're saying Tom if this Asp goes into the third round, it's because Aspinall's having issues. Is that what you're saying? Or, or he's purposely fighting a certain way because he... Like, for example, like... <sighs> Behind the scenes, folks, I have been working on an Errol Spence scouting report for what seems like forever ago. And at times, I'll ping BC about certain questions I have about Spence's career, the parts that I had missed, and blah, blah, blah. And like, for example, do I think that if Errol Spence had fought Sean Porter a different way, it could have had not merely a different result, but maybe a shorter one? Like, he fought in a way to get a certain result that I think made the fight go the full distance and you know made it kind of sloppy and blah 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 like if it goes past the third because tom wants it to make it go past the third that would be okay but the, the obviously if it goes past the third because he can't put tybora away i do think that would be a problem tom aspinall from what we know is quick he is accurate with his strikes again 7.41 per uh strikes landed per minute bc per minute he is bombing on these guys routinely if that isn't putting away a guy like tybora who is tough but again limited yeah that would be bad that would be bad that would that would be very surprising to me other than he wants to fight a certain way and so the fight has just dragged out as well, a consequence what can we say about tybora because winning seven of eight is not easy. It's against, to be fair, second and third tier heavyweights. You've got, you know, Greg Hardy in there. You've got a mixture. You know, you got Romanoff when he came in very, very well overweight, and that was a majority decision. You know, Ben Rothwell is not even in the organization anymore. I can go on and on, although the first win in that streak was Serge a younger Sergey Spivak, so that holds up well. Mm -hmm. Is the best case scenario here just an average Tybura who may be able to lengthen Aspinall? I mean, he has won seven of eight. What are we missing here? What is making him that much slightly better than that second tier? Put a little bit of flowers in the Polish gentleman's favor here, Luke. Can you? Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, he beat Romanov, although the Romanov win now looks like, you know, he was having a hard time in his personal life. The Ivanov win is respectable, but Ivanov, I think I don't look, I haven't looked it up, but I think he's over the hill or pretty close to it. I know heavyweight has different rules, but you get the idea. The common opponent in Volkov, he he lost to, and Aspinall just walked through basically because you know in different ways. I mean, the fight looked very different, but it's because of the abilities of Tom Aspinall. I mean, listen, like you, we were talking about Tom's numbers. I'm not going to go through all of Tybora's, and certainly he's fought a lot more guys. 
in the UFC, but they're much more pedestrian. So strikes landed per minute for Tom was 7.41. It's just 3.55 for Marcin. Striking accuracy was 65% for Tom. It's 48% for Marcin Tybora. Strikes absorbed, it was 2.87. It's 3.31. He barely has a positive differential. And defense, it was 64% for Tom Aspinall. It's just 55%. 1.39 takedowns. I could go through the takedown percentage. It's not nearly as good. There's just not nearly as much offense. He's much more susceptible defensively. He is a good fighter. He is worthy of respect. But Tom Aspinall should, if he is the Tom Aspinall we understand, he should blow right through him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He's back in front of the home crowd. I mentioned scene of the crime. Luke, the the theory in general or the working narrative that we've been on is, you know, separate from 290. It hasn't been the best matchmaking stretch. I certainly would put this card in the category of like, for a London card, a little underwhelming, although it comes right between two pay-per-views. But looking up and down the card, I, I don't hate it. I kind of like this card on Saturday. I don't hate it. Any, I don't hate it either. Now, to your point, is it more geared to a UK audience? Yes, of course it is. That's that's what it should be. Like it's it's being held there. They should be engaging those fighters, those communities, those audiences in a way that doesn't necessarily appeal the same to us. But like, let's go through here a little bit. Tom Aspinall, Marcin Tibora. By the way, like, is this the sexiest Tom Aspinall fight you could have made? Of course not. I like that they gave him what I would consider like if you have. Here's what I would say about this fight, right? To kind of answer your question. If Aspinall has crossed his T's and dotted his I's with his rehab and his recovery from the injury and then training for this fight, he should win no problem. He should win no problem. But Tybora is just enough of a test where if you haven't done those things, well, then you could be in trouble. Perfect matchmaking in that regard. Not a big name, but for what Tom Aspinall is up against, UFC did him a bit of a favor here in the right way that a, a promoter should. Good job by them. Molly McCann is back, taking on Stoliarenko. Um, she's favored to win. Obviously, she has some name in that community, so that matters on the card. I will tell you, I'm, no matter what setbacks he's faced, I'm still high on Nathaniel Wood. Paul Craig makes his middleweight debut against Andre Muniz. Jai Herbert is a very good striker. He was the guy who nearly head kicked KO'd um, uh, Ilya Toporia when he was up a weight class. He did get flatlined by Toporia because that's who he is, but he was this close to knocking him out. He was very good. Ketlin Vieira against Penny Kianzad is on Hold this on, card. Luke, don't go too There's quickly up and down because I wanted to stop you. You mentioned, okay. and look, I'm saying on record, for a weaker card, especially compared to the recent London ones, there's some charm here. I'm not hating on it. But you mentioned that they are giving Aspinall a, in some ways, serviceable matchup that if he's still Aspinall, he should win. What do you think about that same line of theory and narrative coming into this Molly McCann matchup? First time we've seen her since November when she got just swallowed by Aaron Blanchfield. Minus 175 favorite against the plus 210 Stoliarenko. But if you look at my Lithuanian sistrin here, Stoliarenko, Luke. Sistrin. She has lost three of four, not against good level of competition. Do you think this is both a showcased fight for a returning Molly in her home market where she is a character, she is a big deal, and kind of a sneaky must win? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen. I don't want to denigrate the career of Molly McCann, but I also have to be fair to Tom Aspinall and say Tom's at the main event for a reason. He is not, I don't know how popular he is in the UK relative to Molly or certainly the Molly and Patty show. I don't know. Only people there could tell me, but he's on the main event because the promise of what he has shown is 
championship level, right? I mean, he hasn't reached that yet, but you look at it and you think, shit, dude, he might get there, right? That's the kind of level we're talking about. We are not necessarily talking about that level with Molly. I don't think we've seen anything to date that would give you a reason to believe that in this weight class, this will be a flyweight fight, that she can be the very best that there is. Um, and so you're asking more on the Stolyarenko side. She has lost three or four. Dude, she just lost to Chelsea Chandler, who I saw other fighters, not even media. I saw other fighters tweeting, like, why is she on the roster given, like, how green she was in her abilities, and Stolyarenko lost to her. So McCann is rightly favored. Obviously, she had that tremendous knockout the last time. I think she was there all the time before anyway. Two in um, a row. She had the two in a row that that really raised her profile yes, to another yes, level. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So she is a good fighter worthy of respect, but to me, this is more uh, her placement in the co-main event is not the same kind of reason why Aspinall is in the main, so to speak. But, but what I'm saying is they're still giving her a fight she should win. So you almost she have two yes. featurey showcase hometown people at the top. But as you started to mention, Luke, that would fight not going to be easy against the plus 170 Andre Touchy Feely, who's constantly sort of flash of brilliance back down to earth, but but a tough out. But Luke, I want to focus more on that Paul Craig fight because we love Paul Craig, first of all. But this is a ballsy move cutting down in weight. I know this fight originally got delayed. We're going to see him as a plus 180 underdog here at middleweight. Andre Muniz at minus 220 is no one to F with. But this is a great style contrast. How do you expect the 185 version of Paul Craig to look? And do you think there could be an improvement from the value he brought at, at 205? I don't know. He, We saw him in person. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Funny as hell. Huge he libido. Is a, huge, massive libido. Huge, huge libido. He is... <laughs> what would you say, BC? He's a big guy, but he's not a big, light heavyweight. I didn't see him that way at all. But at the same time, he might be just big enough where it's like, if there was like a 195 class, I think he'd probably thrive. You know, it's not not that I'm calling for it. It's not the Please same don't. as... You want Bridgerweight one... to come to MMA, Luke? <laughs> yes, you want Bridgerweight. I know, it's the saddest shit you've ever seen in your life. But in all... Do you remember that? Who was it? It was... I seen Rockman Jr. was like, I'm trying to get that Bridgerweight title. Yeah, yeah, like, the WBC, you... that fake belt oh, among many I was like, dude, just belts. just call the career off now. <laughs> this is going to go poorly. Um, okay, but neither here nor there. I think he'll look fine early. But I really think that weight cut is not going to do him favors. I think it will do him favors up front when he's making grips on everyone and he's pulling guard and he's controlling wrists and he's got a feet on the hips and he's trying to manipulate their weight and he's fresh. I think it'll actually help him a little bit. But if that doesn't work, and hello, Andre Muniz has like very good jujitsu. You think like he's going to have like an extra level of like a cardiovascular conditioning in the third round, BC? I just don't buy that. Do you? No, and that's that. So that's my fear is that when you cut down in weight, which you know we don't see it done that often or done successfully. Uh, shout out Josie Aldo for pulling that off, though. But Frankie Edgar made a career out of that. But your point is, Luke, the the thing that Rashad would always talk about is, man, your punch resistance really gets challenged when you're making right, aggressive right. weight cuts. The problem with Paul Craig's light heavyweight run is he proved that by subbing out Jamal Hill that he can beat anybody at any time. But, Luke, he often has to take a shit ton of punishment to create those scenarios where he suddenly can become very, very dangerous. We talked to him about that during Room Service Diaries, one of our better guests. I fear for that against Muniz, who can be very aggressive. You mentioned the the, the great striking game. He's got a bunch of submissions, but he's, a, he's just a nasty, tough out in general, even though he's coming off of that submission loss to Brendan Allen, which stopped his win streak. 
I want to see, I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to see out of Paul Craig. Do we need to see him patient? I'm not sure because this is a guy who thrives in chaos, but is that a sustainable equation, Luke? Get beat up, get knocked down, sub out your your opponent. I don't know, dude. I don't know. Not really. I right? Don't, I don't, I don't really think that it is. Um, as I mentioned, by the way, I mean, we'll see, like, obviously he can win that one. The odds makers are friends at Caesars. Uh, I don't, oh yes. Uh, Paul Craig plus 180. Andre Muniz about minus 220. I gotta say, BC, that seems pretty fair actually yeah um so we'll see how that goes but you see in the interest of time like there are lots of good fighters up and down this card you have the undefeated peruvian daniel marcos taking on davy grant who i think is one of the more underrated fighters at 135 which is a stacked division understandably as mentioned uh hot i think it's uh is it hot sauce or hot chocolate danny roberts he's on this card here's another one hot sauce was in and one luke he had a tremendous hand. no just Scott tremendous. Holtzman. Scott Holtzman. Scott Holtzman was it hot sauce. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but BC at 155, Mark Giacchese, who has not exactly turned out what folks thought he might be, but is I would say a much more well-rounded fighter than he once was, taking on Joel Alvarez, who we know had a hiccup against Armin Saryukin. But overall, another one of these guys out of Spain that kind of got to keep your eye on. I love that contest. Brian Barbarina taking on Mahmoud Muradov. Dude, there's a few really good fights and or fighters on this card that uh, are worthy of your respect. All right, final point here. We do have a women's bantamweight fight that's kind of buried down here. Ketlin Vieira against uh, yeah. Panny. How you pronounce Panny's last name here, Luke? I, I believe it's Kianzad. Kianzad. Um, I mentioned Ketlin because, you know, she did take that victory over Holly Holm not long ago. We have no idea what the heck's going on in this division. Is it Bueno Silva? Is it Juliana? Does this have any pseudo title contention we should be taking a closer look at it or is this division suck and i should just go back to you know not caring I, as much i'll tell you what man i feel like panny kianzad has one of the most like underrated stories in the women's bantamweight division which again is not the you know it's not setting the world on fire right now uh but like she was kind of up and down for a while in her early stage of her ufc career and then I just feel like from the Betch Cohea fight on, she has looked really good. The, the one issue she had was she ran to Raquel Pennington, who was better that night, certainly. Okay, fair enough. Um, but she rebounded with a win since then, and here she is again. Her boxing, has, her striking has improved like dramatically. Her ground game was already pretty good, but it's tightened up as well. She's just actually, to me, you know, Ketlin, I feel like the big difference between them, BC, is going to be physicality and probably power. I yeah. feel like Vieira is a real powerhouse in this division, but P- uh, Keon Zod, very skilled, very skilled fighter. So that's an interesting one to me where I, I, I don't have the odds in front of me. I'm going to guess that Vieira is favored, but th- I would say P- uh, Keon Zod, live dog, live dog. Well, to be fair on that matchup, Luke, both as have have recent defeats to Rocky Pennington, so they would be behind her in theory in the line to figure out who's going to get that title shot next at 135. But to answer your question about that line, minus 150, Ketlin, plus 125 for Keon Zod. So interesting matchup in that arguably uninteresting division. Um, Would you say the worst in the sport, Luke? (laughs) It's up there. It's certainly up there. Uh, I mean, hard to say it's worse than women's 145, which does. You said worst division. Never heard of it. Bellator's got one. Bellator's got one. Okay. They have I the mean, best one. They, yeah, they got the deepest, the best one, right? I mean, <laughs> they got the best got one by virtue of having the only one. It's really that, quite right? amazing, you know? Um, all right. Uh, let's continue if we can here, BC. Topic number two, speaking of Bellator, perfect transition. So this is kind of interesting. How about old MVP, 
Michael Venom Page. Now, we just spoke to him in February when BC and I were in London. He has since uh, said he's a free agent, unemployed. Here's what he told Ariel Helwani on the MMA Hour. Quote, BC, I am currently unemployed. I think it's time for me to just explore what else is out there. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go back with Bellator. It just means I want to see what other people think of MVP. Let me note one thing here, if I may. He says Bellator still holds a matching clause for any new contract offers. However, he thinks that they might be accommodate him. And by the way, it may not just be a UFC or bust equation. Sure. He has talked about it with us even as well, going back to boxing, potentially kickboxing. Of note, he will be at the O2 Arena for UFC London on Saturday. This is Your interesting. first reaction. Really interesting, because you see the age 36, but look, he's obviously still operating at the peak of his powers. His knockout so quickly over Goichi Yamauchi last time out really shows you that. But he could be an interesting wild card for anyone. Now, the Bellator matching part, as you mentioned, needs to be noted. And one other aspect of this is interesting, which I think also needs to be noted. Further on in that aerial interview, he revealed, Luke, that normally... Bellator would have been ahead of the game ahead of his final con final fight of his contract, which was the Yamaguchi fight not that long ago. He said that maybe it's because of the uncertainty with the with the sale and all the rumors going on surrounding Bellator, but they never reached out to him ahead of that fight or even after it. And he credits his own uh, agent, Audi Attar there of Paradigm, for kind of like digging in and realizing like, oh crap, you're a free agent. Now again, when you have matching rights, you're sort of a restricted free agent in NBA terms. So it could just be that they're sort of like, all right, go, you know, go sniff it out all you want, but we know we have matching rights. We're not going to, you know, panic and all the uncertainty with the sale. Obviously, you never know what that means. But Luke, I have to be surprised by that at the very least that he's sort of saying no one mentioned it and his own agent kind of figured it out. If... Look, do I expect UFC to go crazy and throw a big number at him? I don't know. I mean, look, he is world-class. He's very exciting. Uh, you know, a couple turn of events, and he could have been a Bellator welterweight champion. You know, I thought he won against Storley in that interim fight. I don't know, though, if UFC is aggressively going to go after. Remember when they had the same opportunity with Kayla Harrison where there was a matching situation? According to Kayla, they came in very low, very under, uh, sort of saying, you know, they're not going to get into a bidding war in this case. I don't know, again, if this means Paige moves on. It would be, though, certainly exciting because it's something we never considered coming in to potentially match him against a whole new group of people. But it's going to be hard for me to get over that matching clause, Luke, to, to, to really think that this is for real and possible. And who the hell knows who's going to buy Bellator at the same time? Right. I mean, listen, I'm in favor of any athlete in MMA, you know, where they have no regulatory protection, taking whatever advantage they can of their contractual openings to go and see what they can get in terms of another promoter from a higher wage like if the if you have the capacity to go do this at any point in your career uh, i'm in favor of them trying but we have to be honest and say you know like francis made it look easy francis made it look like shockingly easy i'll say that but he also got a little bit lucky he got lucky that i mean more than a little bit he got very lucky that tyson fury had to like majorly duck Usyk in order to make this opportunity possible and you know he had a lot of other things going in his direction uh, even still you, you note 36. Dude, 36, if you were a heavyweight, would not be a big deal. I think they signed Alexi Olenek when he was that age or older. But that's heavyweight, right? That's very different. And while I, again, applaud everyone trying free agency in MMA who wants it, that doesn't mean every time you're going to get what you want. 
right? It doesn't mean that every time it works out the way that it, it, you hope that it could. So at 36, BC, would I like to see MVP in the UFC try something interesting with whatever competitive time he has left? Yes, of course. But I just feel like at 36, what they might end up doing is signing him and then giving him some wrestle boxer at 170 who's unranked, who's just going to make the whole thing a complete fucking waste of time to begin with rather than fun fights with guys at the top of the division because maybe they just don't rate him very highly. They see him as like a Bellator guy. What do they need him for? Sure. You know, there's just, I, I, I get that. Like, I mean, here's the difference, right? Michael Chandler was 34 when he signed with the UFC. And that to me seems like the last right moment you can have because you're still on the other side of 35. He took good care of himself. He has done, I think, I mean, the UFC thing has worked out for him so well. And they they understand how to pull the trigger on certain guys when it matters. Like, they can get it right. They got it very right with Michael Chandler and he, them. 36, it's like, do you feel like you're missing out on something? I mean, you could be. I'm not, I, 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 it sounds like I'm like poo-pooing it because I don't like it. That's not what I mean. But I can understand why matchmakers might look at that and be like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I mean, they don't need, you know, you can kind of compare it to a Kung Lee situation where he was late in his 30s by the time he came to the UFC from Strike Force, was more of an attraction fighter. But, you know, UFC doesn't need to bend for that. I think, Luke, ultimately, here's the deal, though. MVP's pretty damn close to finally getting that title shot. In fact, you could argue that win over Yamauchi should set him up for Yaroslav Amosov, which would be such an interesting style contrast. And I feel like with that matching clause, it does feel like. Best case scenario is he finally gets that chance against Am Amasov, and we see what happens there. Could somebody overbid? What, what about PFL here, Luke? I don't know. Could somebody overbid and make a run for for the excitement that he brings? Possible, but so Luke, let me. You... I, I can I can actually give the audience a little bit of uh, I don't know what you want to call it news, but I did a little talking yesterday to some folks. Um, my understanding is that uh, nothing is done, like nothing is signed that I'm aware of, um, but that. My understanding is that PFL is the foregone conclusion in terms of who is buying Bellator. Uh, my understanding is that they're basically the only player left in this equation. I'm not entirely sure what is holding it up. It could be that, uh, remember, at the end, I believe that the, I could be wrong about this, but I believe the PFL deal with ESPN expires at the end of this year. Um, there could be an issue of like them trying to get back with them or figure out who their next broadcast partner might be. And like that might be the thing that is causing a delay and us figuring out what's happening with Bellator. But my understanding is like, you know, if you're asking me, I'm not telling you this is true because nothing is signed. But if you're asking me to make a prediction, gun to my head, what happens with Bellator? My official prediction is that for sure PFL is going to buy them. So yeah, we'll Look, see. I, we'll see. I, I'd obviously, we talked about it before. I'd be all for that, for the idea of creating more competition, creating more, you know, avenues for, of, of legitimate places for people to go. I mean, anytime you could take two people and merge them together like this, but I don't know, Luke, I, 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 we've come this far, uh, you know, I wouldn't be against seeing MVP against Amosov, just the same there. So you're, you're saying this takes whoever works for UFC.com off the hook for creating all <laughs> of those fighter profiles for all of those non UFC, mostly Bellator fighters that uh, led people to, to sleuthing on the internet, to thinking that this meant UFC was buying out Bellator, which, by the way, felt very pride and strike force all over again. Yeah, at first I was like, oh, this doesn't make sense because they some of these guys have, like, they're not in UFC, obviously, but they have, like, fight pass entries, you know? But then I saw one of them was AJ McKee, and it's not possible for him to have a fight pass entry because literally all of his fights have been in Bellator, right? So that wouldn't yeah. make sense. So then I was like, well, who the hell is it? Yeah, I guess someone just went rogue. 
Well, someone, someone made a Bob Sapp and a Jose Canseco one as well. So I wonder if it's a larger sort of MMA <laughs> database attempt. Okay, but they the would UFC. have they would have uh, a dream profile, right? Because Canseco fought Hongman Choi. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. What I want to ask you to close on this, Luke, it seemed like you teased there that the idea of PFL purchasing Bellator and us finding out if that's the case may be contingent upon finding out Bellator or sorry, PFL's TV contract in their future. Yeah. Let's remind you that Don Davis, PFL, you know, leader came out and basically said straight up, yeah, we're coming after you, UFC. We're, we're, we're the competition, right? They signed Jake Paul. They signed Francis Ngannou. Do you think there are discussions internally between Disney and Dana White and UFC and, and Endeavor that say basically don't resign these guys? Why, why are we, why would we be giving oh. them there's not a doubt in my mind. In fact, I've heard some things to that effect. Um, you know, some of it's probably hearsay, so I won't repeat it. But I do have enough to say that Dana White is not happy with the idea that they have to share space um, with PFL. That that this is like like ESPN doesn't need them, um, and they don't want to have like you know because if you go on to for example if you go on ESPN Plus's interface and you click on MMA, it gives you a choice to pick like UFC content and PFL content. I'm going to guess that that makes UFC, in particular Dana White, very upset. So yeah, they would be all too happy to see them. And honestly, if you're ESPN, what does having PFL do for you other than filling time on some of your various yeah, networks? It like That's not nothing, but like, do you have to have them for that? You can just, you know how much mountain of UFC content you can just repurpose that will probably do better anyway, you know? So, yeah, uh, I, I, I think Luke, without having a dog in this fight or knowing inside info, if you, if it, you know, Jake Paul has moved his boxing business to DAZN, wouldn't you think that would be a, a, a rightful landing spot if you, if you wanted to combine everything? Well, the thing is this, BC. DAZN was in the Bellator business, and then they just got out of it. They didn't want to be in it anymore. Now, granted, if PFL were to sub in, like I, even with Francis being there and even with Jake Paul being there, and who knows what that does for you, if they actually could get a Nate Diaz fight, I don't know how that's going to work. But let's say you could. That's not nothing. That's more than Bellator could provide, at least on the pay-per-view end. But it's really not a dramatic changing of your fortunes. Like It's still most of the same problems. Yeah. Do your problems get solved if you're Bellator plus PFL in that regard? Somewhat, yeah, somewhat. I don't know if it's enough, but it's it's not. I mean, you're you're not really buying Bellator for the brand. You're buying it for the roster, right? Absolutely. That's what you're really purchasing there. Sure. That roster does have some real value to it, but there's depth. There's legitimate depth. There's, there's depth. legitimate opponents for the for the names you already have in PFL, but. Is that enough to draw monthly subscriptions and to do pay-per-views? That's the challenge that they would have to accept going down that road. But it would be interesting once it's time to see what other suitors are potentially there. Luca, changing of the skin of the current combat sports landscape right now. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it really is terrible because, you know, you're having one less promoter bidding for services in a way that they could. On the other hand you finally have a clear number two to the UFC if and, if and when these two organizations and their rosters merge. Like when you get that, you finally have something where you can say, okay, that's Coke, that's Pepsi. Yeah. That's, that's good in certain ways too, right? So it's not good or bad altogether. Probably good in, in, in more ways than it is bad. At, but, least, uh, at yeah. least until Chaudhry's next season of One Apprentice comes out, Luke, <laughs> and then it will set all Asian television records per that press release. Thank you.
Uh, okay, let's go to topic number three, if we can here, BC. Francis Ngannou has done a little bit of media. I know he was on MMA Hour. I know before that he was on, I believe, with Jimmy Smith on SiriusXM. And he's done a little bit of updating about what he has uh, done by virtue of this Tyson Fury process. So let's start things on the purse, because there's a lot of speculation about this. He says, quote, what I will tell you is that compared to what I was making for my UFC fight, it's day and night. It's life-changing. And it would be the same thing if I was fighting in the PFL first. What I was making, what I did make in my last UFC fight doesn't even count. It's not close, anywhere close. Definitely yes when he was asked if the purse was more than the entire UFC career combined. He says 100% yes. I didn't make that much in my entire UFC career, basically after turning down all of those contracts that could have made me more money. But yes, if we count it, absolutely. One more, he continues. I've heard so many times people say, oh, they offered him $8 million to fight. They offered him this and that, which is exactly, which is not exactly what they offered, he said. There was a trick there, and it was bad. It was just in order for me to put the pen to the paper. There was just one big number, and then behind the paper was blank pretty much. So it's not like, I'm sure you're going to say three million times three or four, three or three fights. That's not what it was. It wasn't like that. It was the same tactic to pull some number up and to impress you to get you to sign the contract. BC, you come to us more so from the boxing side than anyone else on this show. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised to learn that the Tyson Fury Saudi money is going to be much greater than the UFC. Money yeah, money. or that this report of you know Angano getting only eight million is not accurate. I mean, did I thought I saw somebody was it Ariel who tweeted it's not eight million, it's eight figures that he's expected to be getting. I mean, look, Francis is getting the bag. Congratulations to him. I feel that. But look, real quick question on, on on one part of this: if you fight in Saudi, don't isn't that an afternoon fight in the states? Typically, I mean, that's, unless they're yes. going to put it on at like three in the morning yes. there. No, no, yeah. Are you expecting UFC Kona promo programming to this? Are you expecting them to quickly roll out some type of afternoon ABC card directly against this? If this was seven or eight years ago, the it would have been a foregone conclusion, you know? I don't know anymore. I don't know. I don't know how bothered they are by it. I don't know... Like, do they want to get in the way of it? Do they want to go head-to-head -head and potentially look bad doing it? Well, look, I don't know. I don't know. They, I mean, you know, Francis in these interviews addressed the whole idea of UFC rushing out this idea of John Jones versus Tyson Fury, which is just so, you know, laughable. We don't do that. I mean, look, we we didn't get it right, you and I. We missed Francis's joke. He named his promotion G-I-M-I-K, gimmick, as a direct sort of zinger oh. back at... <laughs> Back at Dana for calling, you know, we don't do gimmick fights here in the UFC unless we do, which is suddenly anytime we want, right? Zuck versus the other gimmick. Yeah, baby. Uh, but yeah, Luke, um, I don't know. I still expect it. They've been very petty. I still expect it. They are competitors in the space. And it goes back to what I'm saying from the beginning. Francis can't win or it continues to set a precedent. So anything they can do to subvert that, they probably will. But Francis did go further, Luke, on why the WBC title from Tyson Fury won't be on the line. Um, you see some of these quotes that he told Ariel. One second, that one second, one second. I'll let you finish. I just want to make one point about the purse, if I may. Yeah. When it is all finally said and done and we have a clear figure, you know what would be a really helpful exercise? I would love to know how many times under that last deal he was offered he would have to fight in order to get that purse. Oh, yeah. Like, what would yeah. you have to do on the UFC side to make that? I'd be I mean, what he's know. referencing is he got offered the John Jones fight by UFC for something in the eight to ten million area, but the rest of the contract was like two million. Yeah. Payouts the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. Agree with you. On by the that. way, and I've spoken to some folks who know what his guarantee is. His guarantee is a lot higher than eight. 
It's a lot. Oh, of made. course. Way high. It's it's look, it's Saudi money. It's going to I mean, look, in the end, do you think he's going to get like 30 to 40 million? I think he will. Yeah. I don't end. think he'll get, you know, 100 million. That seems way crazy. But uh yeah, my my official prediction is between guarantee sponsors, cut of the pay-per-view, whatever else he gets on the B side, probably between 30 and 40 million. Yeah. Well, here's Francis. A lot of boxing people, myself included, have been like, great for Francis. And yes, come the day of this fight, we'll be there. We'll be watching, not there in person, but we'll be invested. We'll care. It's a curiosity. But for me, the lack of the title gives it a distinct lack of meaning, especially in light of Fury not fighting Usyk. Here's Francis talking to Ariel on why. He says, it's a real fight. It's going on our records, but the titles are not on the line. That's another discussion which is going to take a lot with the WBC and all of that. If we wanted to do everything, there would be a lot of parties involved and this fight wouldn't happen. We had to get this quick and done. He went on to basically say the same thing in another paragraph, but Luke, is he basically saying that if the WBC got involved, it would have mucked this up? Do you think that means that that the WBC could only give Tyson Fury an exemption to take this fight, but not allow him to put the belt on the line, given that the Usyk fight was so, so due. Is that what he's trying to say? Or is he trying to say that if the WBC got involved, they would take giant cuts of the purse, which they would. And also it seems like there's other red tape that I, that I can't put together. What do you make of those comments? Yeah, that, well, I mean, here's what I think he is trying to get at, which is what if he beats Tyson in the rematch? Again, we are getting <laughs> so far ahead of ourselves here, but for the purposes of this exercise, I think what he is saying is if he wins, he wants the belt on the line in the rematch. I think that's what he's saying. Okay, but again, that's uh, a waste of our time because if he did do the impossible, dude, this he would is get a, waste a rematch of our time. This anyway. whole fucking fight is a waste of our time. Right, and if he did knock him out and did the impossible, in my opinion, he should be the heavyweight champion. Then, you know, if not, then Fury should be stripped. This is all bullshit, Luke. It's just all yeah. bullshit. That part It's super bullshit. Sucks. So that's what is the WBC's line? So their line, as I understand it, is, well, Tyson doesn't have any mandatories so we're going to let him take this one, make it professional, but just not put the belt right. on the line. That's that's the argument, right? The WBC, the same organization of the four, which created this idea of a super champion, meant to take any fighter with a big name that they don't want to piss off and have to threaten to strip. And if they make them the elevated super champion, not only can they make another regular champion, but that super champion doesn't need to fight any mandatories and can fight anybody they want. It's all boxing bullshit behind this, Luke. And it's weird how... Like, if this fight was for a title, you would still get a portion of the boxing audience going kind of bullshit is this this guy doesn't even have a pro fight i can't believe right. that i'm arguing against that luke to say like if you're going to do this at least put the title on the line but it is what it is i mean i i feel like what i need to just shut the hell up is a written statement from tyson fury saying hey bc don't say it on the show but i have full plans to fight Usyk in december and it's going to be for like 300 million and you can all shut the f up let me get this bullshit out of the way then i'd be like yay francis yay team francis go free agency crawl through the tunnel of bullshit you made it to the other side but i can't quite do that yet luke i can't i know i know i feel you bro i feel you by the way Talking about press conferences, he says they might have one in London, probably somewhere in Africa, Saudi Arabia, obviously, and we still don't know about the U.S. yet. Yeah, I bet you don't. <laughs> I bet you don't. Uh, there's probably some uncertainty there the whole way through. So I guess we'll have to see how that goes in the end. Um, all right, let's see here a note here from... Yes, okay. Let's talk quickly about this topic number four, BC. So MMA Twitter was a little bit weird yesterday. Let's see if I can go through this. You had... Makachev, 
tweeting for a fight with Leon Edwards. Then you had Volkanovsky telling Makachev, you're running. Then you had Taporia telling Volk, wait, you're the one running. It was a little bit out of pocket. It's all kind of crazy. Here you can see the tweets on the screen. You're running, brother. You don't want this smoke. I can't do an Australian accent other than the worst one you've ever heard. So I'll leave it at that, BC. I got to tell you, here's what makes me nervous about this whole thing, BC, is that October 24th is not that far away. And, you know, we're only in July, but they are desperate for something big. And I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, if you can make the Hamzat Costa fight, thumbs up. It's craziness. I'm okay with it, though. But if you don't have that, it appears they don't have anything. So what did you make of all of these guys tweeting in this way that they were? Well, at the very least, Luke, you know this is going to be a big card. There's going to be monster matchups on there. The UFC loves the relationship with Abu Dhabi. It's so I mean the crown jewel. I mean the crown jewel. What was that? I mean, yes, you're right. What I'm saying is the the main event anchor. They don't have, it looks like they don't have a clear, obvious well, main event I anchor. guess what I'm getting to is because there's so much talk about all these big names, it leads me to believe that, like, this is going to be a major. This is going to be a badass card. They always go all out in this most recent run with Abu Dhabi and, 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 the, and all of that. But the only way I would be down, look, Mahachev versus Leon Edwards for the welterweight title. I mean, good Lord, it's, you know, two of the four or five best pound for pound in the world. The only way I'd be really down for that, though, under the current proceedings is because that means Colby wouldn't get one. And it's just like, you know, again, <laughs> Colby is coming off a win on a pay-per-view. I know I argued for that, that it's not ridiculous that he's getting this fight or appears to be. But it still hasn't happened yet or been announced. And when you delay a fight that no one really wants to begin with, it just continues that bad taste in your mouth. The reality is, though, Luke, this is probably just some more public jostling and leverage and negotiation. The fight to make, in my opinion, once again, is Volkanovsky Mahachev 2. It's the two best fighters in the sport. The first fight was that perfect where you get the two best fighting at such an insanely high level. And it was super exciting on top of that and at a fast pace and a fury. Make it now. Volk is at the very peak of his game. He wouldn't necessarily get hurt with another clean loss here if it was clean this time against Mahachev. He could go back down and have Tapuria and anybody else coming through the line. But if Volk is going to go in the direction of greatness, of all-time greatness, the time is now. The opponent is Mahachev. Abu Dhabi's not a bad site for it because you know they're going to go all out. Make that fight. Let's do it, Luke. I don't, you know, Tapuria can wait. Seriously. He is a, he is a, a Johnny come lately in some degree, right? He just, I mean, he's rising right now. And, it, and, and look, Volk did the face off with him. He's not afraid of it. It's not, this is not a question of fear. This is a question of business and greatness. You got a chance to do that, to be great right now. Do it because that stat that Luke likes to talk about, it's coming. It, it's, it's down the road, right? It's, it's screaming itself. Well, if Woodley can break the trend. You know, Volkanovsky can break True, the trend, too. But it's do it right play. now at the peak yeah. of your powers. In, in business-wise, right. Luke, I would, dude, Mahachev's a star out there. I mean, he's a star globally. He, You know, the Habib rub mixed with, he's just great. This is the fight, dude. That's a monster fight. The Leon thing would be weird. It'd be fun, but it doesn't make a ton of sense. This actually makes sense. I don't think anything you're saying is crazy. I really don't. Um, it's kind of funny, though. I was thinking about I hadn't really given it any consideration. What would I rather see? Leon Edwards versus Colby or Leon Edwards versus Makachev? And I have to tell you, like, 
I don't really love either of them. I mean, it's weird, right? Because in either case, you have a champion versus somebody who, you know, does he deserve to be number one contender? Obviously not, but we at least consider a formidable threat. And in the other case, to your point, you have two pound for pound guys. By the way, folks, forget this. Edwards and Makachev used to train together at AKA back in the day. Um, and this was before Edwards got really good. I'm sure Makachev, you know, probably gave him the business one time or two. But the reality is, like, neither of those fights make the sense that we want them to make, especially to your point, BC, given that the real use of, of Volkanovsky's time that he has left as the best in the sport should be better applied. That, I mean, not that Taporia would be a disaster. It's defending against a top contender. But to your point, one versus two pound for pound in the sport in a contested fight going to the rematch, that's that's where the sport should be. That's where Makachev's time should be spent. Um, I, I, I echo your sentiment, basically. What would be the opening line? I know it's probably already out there, but in your eyes, what's the proper opening line for Islam Alex 2? I'm going to say minus 150 Islam plus 125 or something Volk, something like that. Love it. Let's do it, Luke. Can we do this already? I don't know if we have that power. They never call us from the war room and ask for our advice, but can you do this UFC, please? Okay. Heck, put Colvington Colvington versus Leon on that undercard, Luke. Make it the co-main, right? Just do that. Fine. Give us this fight, please. Hey, I don't, we don't have a ton of time on this, but let's run through these if we can just a little bit, BC. We got plenty of time. There's not much left in the show. Well, again, tell the audience the truth. It ain't your boy. It ain't your boy. It ain't your boy telling us to get out. It ain't your boy. Um, they, they, other, other people are telling me that. All right, but let's go through this here a little bit. So this one is, uh, it's a fine fight, but it's not the one that it was supposed to be. Juan Archuleta is going to fight Hiromasa Ogikubo. Now, Ogikubo was part of the original Bellator versus Ryzen card. It was supposed to be one of the Asakura brothers, but he got injured. This course will be Super Ryzen 2, July 29th. Same day as Spence Crawford and all that other good stuff. Uh, he's filling in on short notice replacement, basically. So there's that. Um, Martin Boudet taking on Josh Parisian, UFC Vegas 78. If you care, uh, BC, I don't know if you care at all. I don't care about uh, that. I'm sorry. Anj Lusa taking on Rise McKee. Rise McKee is back in the UFC after having a bit of a sojourn outside of Isn't it, it UFC Reese? Paris. It looks like Reese to me, Luke. It could be. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Okay. Uh, Pretend ben he Was- was Latino. What is it? How, what do you think it is? Reese. If he was right? Latino? Yeah, he'd be, be like, it's Reese. It's probably Reese. It'd be, right? it'd be Reese, Raiz, McKee, McKee. I'm not sure how they would say it. Raiz. Um, Benoit St. Denis taking on Thiago Moises. Actually, it's a pretty good fight. That's, That's one that's going to be in UFC Paris as well. Yep. Love that contest. They're going to redo it, BC. September 9th, UFC 293, Justin Taffa uh, versus Austin Lane. Remember that one with a horrible eye poke? Slow week Dude. for fight announcements, Luke. Yep, keep going. <laughs> All right. Uh, Blood Diamond is back, taking on a guy I've never heard of, Charles Ratke, UFC 293, September 9th. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo taking on Elise Reed, UFC Las Vegas. She's fighting for 16th. her job, Luke. She's fighting for her job. Gotta right? be, right? Gotta be. Gotta be. Play the Dana Jake, soundbite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this one is actually not bad. Jake Collier, who has, I think, is is respectable, taking on uh, Kamaru's brother, Mohammed Usman, UFC Vegas 79, September 23. Um, uh, Irina Alexiva taking on Melissa Dixon, UFC Fight. Boy, these. These are are setting the world on fire, are they not? October 14th. uh, This one's kind of interesting, and this is a a legitimate step up for him. Mohamed Mokayev taking on Tim Elliott, UFC 294, October 21st. Yes, that one I do like, because 
Mokayev's got a lot of ability, but not a lot of refinement. And Elliot's going to push him. By the way, Elliot is a genius. Elliot, is, I mean, I know his personal life fell apart in the last year, but but he is one of the only guys who's ever said, yes, I openly cheat. It's not my job to not cheat. It's the referee's job to enforce it. If they don't enforce it, why the fuck wouldn't I? And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's true. Shit, that's totally true. I mean, so, Bernard Hopkins fought his whole career, Luke, waiting for the referee to get on the behind the shoulder of his opponent and then using his offhand to do whatever he needed to poke, to hold, to push. You know what I'm saying? It's it's John Stockton too, Luke. That guy was dirty as shit. He'd pull on your shorts. He'd do all that stuff, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know how, I don't know how the boxing world feels about this, BC, but going through the Sean, uh, excuse me, the Sean Porter and Errol Spence fight, dude, Spence punched him below the belt 59,000 times in that fight, like repeatedly. And people got on the ref for being like, you know, uh, no, so they got on the, in the Ugas fight, they got on him for like intervening. And I'm like, dude, he was punching low in that fight too. Um, you know, but okay, neither here nor there. And then lastly, but not leastly, he has withdrawn from the playoffs. Does anybody care? Movlid Habulayev, the 2021 PFL champion is out due well, to injury. Him By to the way, the list, Luke, that involves everybody that popped for steroids and Kayla Harrison as to more reasons why like I want to get excited about the PFL playoffs but they they took all our friends away Luke and yeah, now they're like honest, we'll clean like, this up we'll call you Sada I like many of the fighters on the PFL roster I like uh many of the fights that they make I don't really care about the tournament all that much these days it doesn't do a lot for me um I'd be curious to see what model they go to if and when they fully acquire go to the, the grand prix model Luke you, which with the, the Grand Prix model, basically that Bellator's employed the last few years, has been when you have a division that's hot and deep, take a year and go to that. You know, like right, not everything. Right. I I don't. I mean, like I don't know. They've put a lot, Luke, into their identity, the format, and the intelligence of the cage. Maybe that format needs to be quirked if they create a super league. You know, if you bring in Bellator's rounded cage, and then you've got the Ask Jeeves cage. You know, does it turn into the Alta Vista? <laughs> does it turn into the Bing.com cage? What does it turn into? Yeah. I the Uber know. Eats? I don't know. Uh, you want to do the fan sub thing, Luke? Because that's what we should do we, here. What should we call it? Should we call it the Ask Jeeves cage or should we call it the Uber Eats cage? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Dude, if anyone gets the exclusive, I want it for us so badly. The first interview with the voice <laughs> of the smart cage. Just like Luke, one day. I still am holding out one day that I'm the first person that interviews Al Heyman on camera. That's that's one day, Luke. One day, right? One day. Yeah, you're going to be the guy that gets that. I'm going to be the first. You got a better yeah. chance of growing a dick out of your forehead. That's not happening <laughs> at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> You never know. Uh, okay, and that's it for uh, that's it for announcements. Slow, right. slow news day. Slow news. Well, every day. Wednesday we give you the chance to uh, have a little moment. Put your artwork on our refrigerator. Morningcombat at gmail dot com is the email address. Mikey Mormile is the filter that stops you from being inappropriate or unfunny. Well, actually, that's up to you, the unfunniness. But we'll give you the chance to wear tight t shirts. Show us your cable management. This one's called fan submissions. We've got got a lot of male viewers, Luke, this week. Let's hear from Mark. He says, hello, my favorite donks. Went out with my bro to see Rivers of Nile. Nile, Nile, yes. Mm -hmm. At the Vogue Theater in Vancouver. Enjoyed some downtown walking and great dinner at the Revolving Restaurant. All the while rocking MK merch. Thanks for making my weeks great with the awesome content 
been a follower since the beginning. So basically, Luke, Mark went out with his boy in Vancouver, but put on the MK for that. You, you down with this? Yeah, two things. First of all, Vancouver looks amazing. Yeah, where's Shaq looks Majori amazing. when we need him, right? Oh, he's at a uh, rave. Probably texting me and when I and I'm when I don't want him to. You know, he's like, he does. He's that. like, yo, tweet this, tweet this. Hey, can, hey retweet me. I'm annoying. I don't oh, know. come on, that's our guy. Stop that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I mean, he might as well just like, text me that. Hey, I'm annoying. Retweet, retweet this. Uh, but I'll say this: BC Rivers of Nile is the band I have tried to get you to pay attention to because it's not only progressive metal, but they have a saxophonist in the band. Oh, it's I a like metal that a lot. band with a saxophone. That's a that's a real thing. All right. Uh, and you might be like, how's it sound? Well, not all of it works, but when it does work, it's like you've never heard anything quite like it. So Rivers yeah. of Nile, two thumbs up for me, dude. Rivers of Nile in like 2019, where uh, the where the owls know, I think it's called where the owls know my name or know our name. That was like the uh, uh, album of the year in like 2019, 2020. People in the jazz fusion world already know Luke. Sax equals sex when you when you add it on. You know what I'm saying? If you add it on smartly, correctly, like. I don't know. I want to play sax real bad, Luke, just to improve my, uh, my culture. With with, my with your mouth daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go over to Paul. He says, "Good morning, y'all. I hope everyone at MK is doing well." Here's a collage and some close-ups of my point Muay Thai match that I won this past weekend. It's another entry as an unofficial candidate for Donk Hammer of the Month. Since this is an entry-level match where only semi-contact is allowed and some volume plus variety wins the decision, I embraced my inner Adesonia, excuse me, to maintain range and angles. The highlights are actually bloopers as I landed an accidentally hard liver kick in round one. Then my opponent accidentally... Uh, Landed a direct kick to my cup in round two. My volunteer corner and I also laughed because we accidentally dropped the water bottle on myself between rounds like a prime Diddy boxing Yoel Romero. The difference is that I got up in time and won that match outright two rounds to zero. Afterwards, everyone was all smiles and supportive. We're just wanting to keep progressing forward. I'd like to win some of these while continuing my submission streak in blue belt grappling, then do full contact Muay Thai, and then full contact MMA at 85 or 205. Perhaps we can introduce BC to some regional MMA down here while there's a UFC or boxing card y'all are visiting for. Luke, where is he referencing? Where is he from? Do you have any indication here? I don't i've been trying to figure it out i haven't heard anything that would give it away all right well yeah. here's a, a a weekend warrior here luke not quite christian daguerre but do you have respect for his game just the same sure sure anybody who goes and does this stuff uh it's not easy and uh the, the hardest part is also that like your friends and teammates are there you know so if you get flatlined it's like holy shit like now i have to face them but uh, it's point fighting so it's not you know it's it's appropriately challenged for the people who are taking part in it. So does point fighting mean like Karate Kid tournament level stakes where it's like you can land one hard strike but not full power, right? I don't know the IKF Muay Thai point rules. I'm going to guess that, you know, it's a lot of like touching versus like hardcore punching, you know. Okay. No one's getting effed in the... Uh, no, okay. Uh, Luke, let's hear from Saul. We love this guy, right? Whether we think he looks like little Anthony or not. Saul says, I took her out. It was a Sunday night. I wore MK merch to get the feeling right. The wife and I traveled to Nashville this weekend to see Blink-182. And mid-show, Tom DeLong said, something with aliens is coming soon. You're welcome. 
So thank them, I guess. Show was over and we went out to the bars. Typically, the bar live bands would be playing country, but tonight they were covering early 2000s and late 90s hits. It was an amazing night. We stayed at Dolly Parton themed hotel. We ate at the rooftop restaurant all while shamelessly wearing a t-shirt that got a lot of head turns. Two people told me I was bold and one asked if it was something X-rated. Once I explained, they lost almost all interest and said, well, cool shirt. Either way, it's MK all day. Luke, your thoughts on Saul living the life here? Saul, that's me explaining my career to my family. Once I started doing it, they lost all interest. Uh, I got to say, Nashville, great town. Great. Great town. I've never been, but I want to so badly, Luke. Oh, my God, dude. You've never been to Nashville? No. I've done Austin, and I feel like Nashville is just East Austin, right? Kind of? It's different than Austin, dude. It's way different than Austin. Okay. Um, Austin is like a weird... I don't know what it is anymore because so many people have moved there and it's all changed, but it was kind of like a hippie version of Texas. Now I think it's a little bit different. But Nashville is like, in the United States anyway, Nashville is the home hardcore of country music. And the way to understand that is... I couldn't believe how true it was. Someone was like, dude, you're going to hear some of the best singing in your life here. You have to think of it like L.A. You go to L.A. and there's always some asshole in a Starbucks going over some bullshit script for some tryout that's going to take them nowhere. Like, Nashville is that for country singers. So, dude, you'll just walk down the street and at a coffee shop, at a restaurant, yeah. at a bar, whatever, and there's someone playing in there, and you cannot believe how yeah. good they are. I don't even like country music. Okay, well, that's, like, that's Austin damn. just the same, Luke. I mean, it's like it's it? like that for... Austin has music, barbecue, and weirdness like that, but now they have comedy as well, Luke. How much do you believe the Joe Rogan mothership has, has dramatically altered the comedic scene in Austin? I couldn't possibly tell you. I haven't been to Austin in some time. All right. All the big names got invited, Luke, to come down there. I'm hoping uh, if I can get a hard enough five going, Luke, if I can hang uh, out with I mean, McGregor. Just, just, just the, the skidding and the bidding here. Is I do, really why is there a skid? I, why is there any connection to a skid here, Luke? Okay, I mean, I'm actually don't. To... I, you're right. In fairness, I don't even know. I can only assume. I can only assume that there's skidding and bidding. I would just love to get that invite, Luke, so we can get all the big names down there. I Uh, still want. By the way, you don't need to wait on Joe Rogan's invite to the comedy mothership. You can go to any old comedy club and just do an open mic night. You can film it for us. Yeah, but if I'm going to debut, I'm going to go big. Like, like I want like Showtime special big, Luke. So I got to really work on getting that five. You're skidding and bidding. Just, just the skidding and bidding. No, stop, Luke. Actually, when I meant by Showtime special, I meant the donk. Remember documentary number eight. Was supposed to be me at a comedy club in Jersey City. That was the yes. bit. That was the gig. Yes, and yes. it was going to be that real. That actually is true. Yes, I was going to live and die by my own, you know, comedy, Luke, and get set off in flames on the stage. Most, yeah. mostly die. Mostly die. Mostly probably die. I mean, it's, it's there's probably only about a thousand of them in the world, Luke, who are actually you know very good at that job. I'd love to one day be that, but I'm more of like a dick joke guy on a podcast. Uh, thank you, Saul. Well, Luke, some people hate fan subs because they think it's just like. Do I really need to see some dude in a tight T-shirt going on yes. a weekend trip? Yeah. Yes. These are our people, right? These are By the way, people. he had a rain energy drink, which are the chef's kiss, truly, of energy drinks. Um, All right. Okay, you have limits, Luke, where you don't like you don't let the fans too close to you. You say that I'm putting out milk to the to the homeless cats and all that BS, Luke. Um, would you welcome a segment where once a month a beloved fan came on? For an actual fight breakdown segment and joined us, joined us. Or are you against that outright? Yeah, I'm super against that. Yeah. 
You're like, I'm fine to laugh at your cable management, but I don't need your hot takes, Saul. Is that what oh, you're well, saying? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't say I was against their hot takes. Like, one thing that BNBC and I have discussed is, like, setting up some kind of phone line or even, like, a video address where you guys can send in videos of yourselves, making some kind of point, asking a question, whatever, and then us playing and reacting to that. I'm totally on board with fan integration in that way. Let's do it. But, yeah, you want to do that? Yeah. Hey, hey, if you guys want to do that, fucking email Mikey. Uh, at morningcombat at gmail.com. But granted, Mikey's been trying to help me un-F the mess that I've created uh, for other these other projects I'm working on. But that is something I think we should do. I really want to do that. I would like to do that on the regular loop. Get it up close and personal with our people. Not live, though, right? You don't want them live at all? Uh, I think live, you're just going to get... You're just going to be like chat roulette. Just guys jacking off. I mean, I just yeah. don't want to... <laughs> It's going to be like like when somebody would call in live on like CNN and do the Howard Stern bit, right? Yes. When they drop the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waving, yeah. waving. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know. Luke, right. Dude, final... I remember the UFC. I remember the UFC conference calls. Like, this is the UFC conference call for UFC 112 or whatever it was. And they would do the conference calls. And then there would be some guy and they'd be like, hey, Dana, tell me why my balls are so big. Eh? Howard yeah. Stern's the best. And this Baba would go Bowie. on and on. Baba Booey. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's hear from Joshua. It's our final fan sub of the week. We had he a says, bunch of them today, huh? Good morning, BC and LT. I'm a day one listener, but a first time fan subber. While I often feel for BC as he struggles like Andy Dufresne through the shite <laughs> tunnel that is English word conjugation, he's made this particular error enough times that it's time for me to adopt pride rules and kick him while he's down. Muchos gracious and all the love from Joshua, keeping your Canadian fandom alive and kicking here in chilly whack. BC. I think he means British Columbia. Luke, can you break down the grammar issue here on this Wednesday dead wrong, apparently? Well, I'm not so sure what's wrong with adaptations because uh, uh, this sub looks like it's been beat to shit. Uh, but it isn't going to experience hull-crushing uh, depth. They're like saying the... that I use the word adaptions when I should be using adaptations. And if I was, I'd be above water like you are in that picture. But by using adaptions, I become just like a failing submarine. Yeah. I mean, I don't think adaptions is a word uh, is the problem. It could be, uh, I, but I don't I think believe it's... adaptions is a word, which is why I use it, Luke. I don't believe that. I don't believe it is a word. Yeah. Adaptions. Is... Ad adaption. It's a, it's a, you sure it's it's not, a are you reading? Spell it outright. A-D-A-P-T-I-O-N. According to Merriam-Webster.com, Luke, it's a, uh, it's a word, okay? Yeah, it doesn't mean... Ad I don't think adaption and adaptation are the same, or certainly it's not the appropriate use of the word, even if it is. Yeah, but, you know, grabbing life by the grammar hammer is very pedantic, Luke. You know, that's what we do Fridays. We do dead wrong, and we put up with these... Well, you actually said this instead of that. You know, I no. mean, we do it for accountability, Luke, for ombudsmanship, right? At 117 of episode 5-6 Balls, um, BC yeah. said the word uh, ass play. He, what he yeah. meant was buttocks. Like, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why right. are we doing that? Uh, thank you for your fan subs. Friday will be dead wrong. Morning combat at Gmail. Dot com. Luke, like Sully Sullenberger under pressure, we landed this plane in plenty of time before the we did hour. we got heads up like five seconds before the show went live they're like uh guys we have to be out of here in 90 minutes there's another show coming in here and we're like okay all right well we didn't know that to start but here we are we, yeah, we, we, we are. did it huh? we, did, we it. did it i mean do you think these shorter 
concise shows are the future of MK. Look, I like babbling with my balls off for two hours, to be fair. You know what I mean? What else, I mean, at this I mean, what point, else am I going to do? The, the, is, the better question is, is there an MK future? I don't know. I oh, don't know. It. MK has a future. We're just kind of waiting on some key details about that future. Just uh, I tease. I tease. Well, hey, Sitting I gotta say, by the phone. I got to say this. Waiting for you to call me up and tell me I'm not alone. I want somebody to shove, Luke. Luke, I I want to push you you around. I will. I will. I want to push you around. Yes, I will. You know who Um, sang that? Rob Thomas, Luke. It's funny, right? It's ironic. My dad just tweeted me with a link to olive oil soap. He doesn't tweet or, like your dad. He texted me, I should say. Yeah. He texted me to a link with olive oil soap. Olive oil was the soap of the ancient world. Okay, Dad. <laughs> I'm Thanks. surprised he wasn't like, hey, son, do you, are you happen to be in Vegas this week for that really big fight that you keep telling me about? Any chance you could use this substance on my rental home and just kind of, yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, he's like, I've got some dangerous tenants that need to be evicted. Could you help me with son, didn't part you of say that plan? You, you, didn't you say you practice that jujitsu stuff? Yeah, please. Yeah, all right. Go out there and handle it. Look, my dream on this show is still, is still to get a live MK interview with either your dad or your brother to really go back and figure out why Luke Thomas is the way he is. Yeah, there's a 0.0% chance of that ever happening. Yeah, you just don't understand these people, dude. You, like, you barely understand me. You don't understand them at all. Like, All right. Well, I've got love for all the Thomases, Luke. All right. Thank that you. makes one of us. No, I'm teasing. I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Tukey Thomas uh, is my favorite Thomas by far. Okay. Let's, Barnabas uh, let's, is up there. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Let's remind everyone Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30 day free trial. If you'd like, you can keep it. If not, do something else with your life. Pretty simple. You can go to morningcombat.store, morningcombat.store for all of the merch. And everything else that might be available there. And then, of course, to reach the show. And by the way, I'm actually interested in hearing from the fans. I want to be clear one more time. I'm working on this Spence scouting report that has just absolutely tortured my life. That should be done soon. So I don't know if we'll have time to get into any kind of video stuff for Friday. But maybe for next week or the week after, depending on how things go. I would love to get... I would love to react to the viewers sending us stuff with them talking. Uh, Don't forget, Luke. Don't forget. I want to put it on the radar again. Next week, Tuesday, July 25th, not only my 45th birthday, but a battle for the unified junior featherweight yes. championship of the world when pound for pound King Niowa Inoue moves up in weight, challenges defending unified champion Stephen Fulton Jr. Luke, that fight, which I believe will air on ESPN Plus from Japan, according to Mike Coppinger's Twitter, 8 a.m. Eastern time main event start. So not only will your boy BC be dialed up their breakfast at Wimbledon style, Luke, I'll be hitting you with an instant reaction right after. Yes, live, local, and late breaking. So that's, you know, late morning Tuesday, right? Not bad. Not bad. I don't, you won't see Ariel getting up that early and doing that, Luke. He used to for the uh, weigh-ins on MMA fighting. He did. I know for a fact. Because I'd be like, dude, why the fuck are you doing that? He'd, He'd love to do it. 
It's you know, one fact. of these days, Ariel's going to beat us in one of these podcast awards, Luke, and our streak, you know, our, our reign will be over. But, you know, we've had a great run. We had a, I mean, we've had a tremendous run. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's probably imminent. But, yeah, uh, yeah we did. We had a couple good years. We had a couple good years. You could uh, say great. All right, everybody. You could say great. Really, hey. some of the best, really the best stretch of my entire career, Luke. I, I really want to thank you for that. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel pretty similar, actually. Um, except having to see your stupid, jaundiced face every day. Other than that, it's been... That's Luke not jaundice. That's that's tan, Luke. I, I'm riding the new riding mower. It cuts my time in half, Luke. You know. How often a... are you mowing your yard? Are you, if you do, if you're doing it more than once a month, you're a piece of shit. Um, I'm, I'm actually on like a twice a week schedule right now because this is the first year since I've moved here that I'm committed to having a nice front lawn. The back lawn is a is a mess, but the front and side yard, Luke, I'm trying to you know show the neighbors that I've got some class. Your kids just sit around not doing chores. No, my wife is pushing me to train them on it, and I have, but what they don't understand is as much as I want my kids to earn their keep and learn responsibility and not become a full-grown adult with no man skills, which happened to me, Luke, uh, what they don't understand is that mowing my lawn is like my happy place. It's my safe place. It's my, you know what I mean? I turn off the rest of the world. I put on those noise-blocking headphones that you wear all through the Newark train station, diving in and out of AIDS, Luke. And, you know, for, for an hour and a half, I, the world's good, and I can solve all of its problems. That's how I feel about Brazzers, you know? I don't think you need that to, to, anywhere now. I said 90 minutes, not 90 seconds, Luke. Okay, thank you. Thank you all right. Much. On that note, I think we're done here today. Hey, thanks to the crew at CBS uh, who have helped us doing uh, the show. I don't know if the folks at home can tell, but we are trying to do some things a little bit differently and level up the production, and I think they did a fantastic job today. Mikey Mormont on the crew down there in Florida helping us out with this. So we really, really appreciate it in helping make the show a success today. Okay? All right. So for everyone there at CBS and everyone at Showtime, Mocha, the whole crew, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. We'll talk to you guys on Friday, and until then, may all of your gains be loyal.